0: Uh, today we're going to be looking at, the, um, at a small passage of scripture in, in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 36 through 38. We're going to be examining those. But before we read the passage, what I want to do is I want to, I want to provide some, some context that's available to us earlier in Luke chapter 2. Just so that we can understand what's happening. Um, Jews in, in that time had a number of customs when a baby was born in accordance with Leviticus 12. The mother of a male baby had to go through a time of purification that lasted for 40 days. And at the end of that period, she had to bring a burnt offering and a sin offering. And, and uh, the burnt offering had to be a lamb while the sin offering was a pigeon or a turtle dove. And those who were poor and couldn't afford a lamb could offer one of the other birds for the burnt offering and one for the sin offering. And so in the, in the case of a firstborn child, part of what was happening is there was the sin offering and everything else. But there was this thing uh, where uh, there are different tribes of Israel and the Levite tribe was the, was the priesthood. And if you're if you had a firstborn son who wasn't a Levite, he had to symbolically be redeemed from the work of the priesthood. And so there'd be this moment where they'd go in and they'd say, I'm, I'm redeeming my son. And they'd give, they'd give the gift and their son wouldn't have to serve in the temple the whole time because that was a job that was delegated to the Levites, to the priesthood. And, and so this is what they were doing. They were doing kind of all this at the same time. We know that Mary and uh, Joseph were poor. Jesus' parents were didn't have much much in the way of resources because they brought the lesser offering. And we see that they're following the, the culture and they're following the law to the to T. The they're being obedient to that. But they bring the lesser offering. We also, that, that helps us understand when the Magi weren't there. The Magi or the wise men, you know who they came and brought... Uh, gifts of gold frankincense and of myrrh those were all very very valuable things actually gold was the least valuable of those gifts which kind of is mind-boggling to us today but gold was the least valuable of the gifts but they came and brought a lowly gift so we know that it wasn't like the shepherds and the wise men were there all at the same time in the manger like celebrating the wise men came a couple of years later jesus was probably a toddler or something like that um and that actually funded their escape to egypt that that's and we'll probably get to that later in this in this month um, so they brought the, the lower offering, they brought the che- the, I almost said the cheaper offering, they brought the, the lower like monetary value, but we all know from scripture and from our lives that it, it has nothing to do with the monetary value of the gift, it just has to do with the, the heart's intent and the purpose and the love and the obedience in giving. Um, But they were here in this moment and they were, they were, um, going through this, they were presenting Jesus and they were following this and they run into this man named Simeon and Simeon's in there and he sees Jesus and he's like, my goodness, we've been waiting for you. See, Simeon and Anna and a whole bunch of others were waiting for this thing called the redemption of Israel. Israel had been, um, had been, occupied, had been ruled over, had been lord, uh, lorded over, had been uh, put into slavery and out of slavery and oppressed and moved and for years and generations and generations and generations. But they knew that this Messiah was coming who was going to set them free. And so they that's what they became, they became known as the redemption of Israel. They were waiting for this person, for this Messiah to come and redeem them. And they eagerly awaited for him to come. It was both a religious hope and a societal hope that they had, and and so they run into Simeon, and Simeon's like, "You're it." And Anna's there within earshot, and they and they hear this declaration, and um. And then, in that moment, as they're redeeming as they're redeeming their son from from the priesthood, and as all this stuff's happening, and. And Simeon's prophesying, everybody's, everybody's lost to the fact that while Jesus is being redeemed from the priesthood, that he was the great high priest, and he would eventually redeem all of us, including the ones who were redeeming him. So it's just pretty, that's the, that's the thinking more of Christmas. Right? That's what makes it the fact that Jesus took the form of a baby so remarkable that inside of inside of this child, inside of this baby, and, you know, I don't know about you. Have you ever, I mean, many of us have held a newborn, right? I, I was, when when our first came out, I was shocked at how helpless she was. I thought I was going to get like a six-month-old baby. Like, I knew that she wasn't going to be six months, but I thought a newborn had the strength of a six-month-old. And they handed it to me, and I'm like, this thing is helpless. Her neck doesn't even work. Like she can't even operate her eyes. I think think ours is broken, you know, but um, they're helpless. And, And what makes Jesus so remarkable is that all the authority and all of the power that spoke creation into existence found it pleasing to take the form of a helpless child. It's amazing. You know, have you ever considered the power of an atom? You know, like the atom the thing that we study in school that nobody can see and we kind of guess what's going on with the particles and the electron or the protons and our, and electrons and neutrons and stuff and we're like, okay, well, we can't know exactly where it is at any given time, but we can kind of guess and right all of that, but you split one and you ruin the earth. Right? It explodes because of the power that's that's the potential power of an atom is so extraordinary that when that when it's when it splits, it explodes everything. I'm not a scientist. I probably butchered that, but you get the point, right? The potential power and authority and and greatness inside of this child is what makes Christmas so remarkable. So let's go ahead and um, go ahead and stand to your feet. And we're going to read Luke chapter two, verses 36 and 37. And I want to try something new. Y'all ready for this? Let's experiment. We're going to read it together. But because I have reading problems, I'm going to mute my microphone. (laughs) Are you all ready to do this together? All right. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. I ask that you would stir our hearts affection for you in this Christmas season. That you would help us to understand better what what is happening in our lives and what your plan and purpose is for us in the midst of it. Open our ears to hear, our hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Great job. That's so much better. So we have this woman who is here at the temple and she overhears this interaction with Simeon and Simeon's probably excited about this child. By the way, I'm sorry. It's cold in here. We're going to, we're going to work on that. Like touched my own hand and it was freezing just now. Um, We'll try and get that better for next week uh, to the extent that we can control it. Um, But so, so Anna overhears this moment and we get a little bit of information about Anna. We figure out who her daddy is and we figure out what tribe she comes from, but we don't know who her husband is. They don't say his name. And that's kind of unusual because a, a woman was oftentimes identified by her husband. It would be Megan, wife of David and and they didn't do that they went and they talked about who her who her uh father was and so we can we can assume from this that her husband either wasn't very significant in society didn't have much standing you could also maybe guess that maybe her father was of significant standing but either way she lost it, her inheritance was tied to her husband the value of uh, the her, the her her money value and her um like her bank account and all of that stuff was tied. Her, the inheritance that she would stay in and pass down was tied to her husband. It wasn't tied to her father. So to allude back to her father is an interesting thing. Probably means that she didn't have a son because there was nobody to inherit what her husband had. Probably means that her, hus- her husband didn't have a brother because her brother would have, would have taken her as his wife. And cared for her, and she would have, so that so that the inheritance could stay in, in the right place, and, and none of those things were happening. And so we we go back to her father, and we see that so we see that her, she's in the tribe of Asher. Now, here's so I already mentioned the Levites, right? So there were twelve tribes. Asher was another tribe. Um, Jacob, whose name changed to Israel, this I'm, I'm like way back before Jesus, right? In the Old Testament, there was a man named Jacob. And Jacob's name was eventually changed to Israel because he wrestled with God. Okay, and uh, he had twelve sons by different women. It's not an endorsement; just the reality. <laughs> and he had sw- he, so he had twelve sons, and and one of them was named Asher. Now, each child received a certain blessing from their father, which is a blessing from God. And 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 so you know Joseph, and the. The the dream coat, you know. So you've got a, a tribe of Joseph, but you. So Asher's blessing was pretty significant. The blessing that came to Asher was was one of um, being anointed with oil and one of being a people of distinction. The people of of Asher's tribe, the women in particular, are remembered as being modest and beautiful, and I and I think the two things are put together on purpose. Because there's a certain beauty that exists inside of modesty, in some of the reading that I did, they were saying that the the women of the tribe of Asher, so the daughters of Asher essentially uh were 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 made amazing wives because of their modesty and because of their their beauty of spirit and and many of the many of the priests sought to marry women from the tribe of Asher because of their their spiritual astuteness because of their love of God and because of their, their, their soberness of mind. And so this is, a, this is a remarkable woman in a remarkable line who's, who's now by herself. The best setup possible, the best heritage, the best family line, the best resources, the best potential, the strongest bank account, the strongest relationships aren't a guarantee that you'll have a pain-free life. None of those things can ensure a pain-free life. So long as we live on this earth, we're we're in fact guaranteed to experience pain. Uh, in the in the in Peter Peter talks about this, and um, I wasn't going to share it, but I want to now. So Peter talks about this, and he's like, "Don't be surprised." In First Peter, chapter four, verse twelve, he says. Um, he says don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you're facing which comes on you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ keep on rejoicing so that the revelation of his glory of Christ's glory may you may rejoice with exaltation there is no there is no easy way out of this life and in a relationship with Jesus doesn't guarantee that either. The, the idea of a comfortable life is the American dream for ourselves. It's not God's dream for us. God's dream for us is a life of peace, of meaning, of purpose of intimacy with him, a life of holiness, a life where we live to reflect his love and his glory to all the earth And that as we walk in and with him. That's God's dream for us. Our dream is one of comfort. His dream is one of purpose and meaning. You see how we could start at odds with God quite a bit? When most of our prayers have to do with our comfort and he's concerned with our meaning. Sometimes God leads us into difficult times in order to set us up for something greater. He takes away the thing that we want for the thing that he wants us to have or the thing that we want for the thing that we actually desperately need we just don't even realize it one of my children wakes up every morning and wants candy (laughs) candy just from the from the time my child was able to speak it was like candy it's like no we, we don't have candy in the house right now you know the same kid I came downstairs one morning and um were, well, actually, I guess Megan went down and, and this our kids were sitting down on the floor of the kitchen just eating ice cream. And they're like, we made breakfast. It's like, yeah, you, I guess you kind of did. It's like milk. It's Go for it. Raising independent leader children. But sometimes God leads us into difficult times in order to show us something greater, in order to position us so that something greater can occur in our lives. For the benefit not just of ourselves, but for other people as well. And when that happens, when we experience that violation of our expectations, when our comfort is violated, when our, when our ease is, is taken away, and we face this disappointment, how are we going to respond? Anna was only married for seven years before she lost her husband, and with the with the loss of her husband, with the death of her husband came the death of many dreams. Has anybody in here felt the death of a dream? Maybe it was the death of an actual loved one. Maybe many people that you loved. And in the Christmas season, it's it's difficult because you hear all these happy songs and you see all these happy families gathering on TV and Instagram and Facebook and you're like, oh, they're so happy. What you don't know is they had a fight right after they took that picture. (laughs) Just like your family did. But they had a fight right before. And they're like, now everybody smile. I yelled at my son at Disney World and made him cry because he wasn't looking at the camera because I wanted to take a happy family picture. And I was like, look at the camera (laughs) at 10 o'clock at night so we can get the Disney castle behind us, buddy. It's like, what is wrong with me? I'm just saying that, you know, don't look to Instagram and Facebook to gauge whether or not your family's doing okay, because it lies, of which we're all guilty. Have you ever taken a picture of this food and been like, this is disgusting, but it looked good? Yeah, so that happens. Facebook's a liar. But um, what am I talking about? The disappointment. I know we're in disappointment. Yes, yeah, so, oh, so the loss of a dream. She lost her husband. It wasn't just the loss of her husband. If you ever lost someone, you know it's the loss of everything that you expected to happen with that person. It's how you dreamt out the kids, and you dreamt out the house, and you dreamt out the location, and you dreamt out the grandchildren, and you dreamt, you dreamt it out and down. You dreamt out retirement, you know, which really isn't really even a biblical thing, but we can talk about that another time. Um, American retirement is not biblical in the sense that, like, you'll get to a certain age and then you'll just, like, spend money on yourself for a long time and travel and cruise and stuff? I'm, so I'm going to step on everybody's toes. I wasn't, didn't want to do that. It was not on purpose. <laughs> All the young people are like, yeah, because we we're not going to have Social Security when we... <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Let's get back to the notes. But we've all experienced the death of the dream, the loss of something. We've all experienced the disappointment of things not going the way that we expected them to go. And God is not just the God of promotion and blessing, but he's also Lord over our disappointment and our pain. And so often we think that God is only interested in our comfort and that somehow when we have the opposite of comfort, that God wasn't in it. That's not the biblical reality. So Anna took this disappointment and she committed herself to the work of God. She committed her life to the temple. Mike, Mike Tyson uh, famously said, everybody has a plan until somebody punches them in the mouth. Right? Because everybody was like, you know, they were like, hey, you're going to get beat. You know, he was knocking everybody out, just knocking them out. And they were interviewing him. And they were like, so-and-so is going to, he's going to get you. He's got the plan. He goes, everybody's got a plan. Until you punch them in the mouth. And then and then the plan falls apart. You ever you've been hitting the nose and your eyes start watering? It's like nothing else matters. You're like, how is this so bad? It doesn't. But But that's kind of, that's what disappointment and, and pain does to us. It just knocks us sideways. It confuses us. Yeah. It disorients us. Yeah. And how are we going to respond in that disorientation? Many of us just quit on God. It must not be true. Wow. God must not love me. Y'all don't love me. Y'all don't care for me. They didn't call me when I was when I was sick. They don't love me. They didn't help me the way I needed help. They don't care for me. If God really loved me, He would have sent someone to help. If God's, if God was real, if He was true, if His love was forever, if He really cared for me, I wouldn't have lost this person. I wouldn't have lost that job. I wouldn't have these bills. I wouldn't have that surgery. That person wouldn't have cancer. How do we respond to the disappointment in our lives? Anna responded by committing herself to God even more fully. And she's like, I'm not going to get fooled by this diversion. I'm not going to get fooled by this distraction. I'm going to commit myself to the work of God and showed her true devotion. It's easy to be devoted when things are going well. It's easy to be devoted to God when when God is doing what you want God to do. It's easy to love your children when your children are being obedient to you. It gets harder when our children are disobeying, like everything that you say. I mean, I've gotten to the place sometimes. Like I got to the place one time with one kid. I was like, just, just put your hand in the air, (laughs) please. Just do something basic. I just want you to obey one simple thing, and we'll get some momentum, and we'll keep going. (laughs) Can you just raise your hand, and then we'll pick up from there. How are we going to respond? She devoted herself to God's work. She devoted herself with, to fasting and praying. So her life was this cycle of fasting and praying and praying and fasting and, and hoping and dreaming, not in anything on this earth, but on, on, on the redemption of Israel, on the Messiah coming, on, on God answering his generations-long promise to them aligning her heart with God's heart, aligning her purpose with God's purpose, making herself and availing herself to, to, to whatever God wanted to do. You know, sometimes God will empty our hands of the thing that we think we want because, because he needs to get our, our attention and redirect us because we're not really where he wants us to be. Sometimes it's, a, it's, it's just a, a temporary test and it's like you just got to fight through it and it'll be restored, and it'll be, it'll be back to whatever or better than it was. But, but we, we feel like we're entitled to what we have. I mean, I, I, I see these videos on, on, on the news and stuff following Good Friday. Did you see this? Literally the same day that we're giving thanks for all the ways that we're blessed, people are raiding stores and stomping each other to get a discounted TV that's better than the TV that's currently on their wall. I mean, there are places in the world where people are scrambling over each other to get water, where people are scrambling over one another to get food. And we have difficulty being thankful for our houses and our cars and our 40-inch TVs because we want the 4K TV. <laughs> Guys, I just... So so I've been doing this thing at, at Wheaton. So I'm going for my master's and, and I'm in this program. Miata Jones is in the same... Uh, program. It's a, it's a cohort, and uh, so we're in this we're in this group with uh, other people from every nation. There are eleven or twelve people from the Philippines, a couple uh, man from Dubai, a couple people from China, um, a few from North America. Through I think four of us from North America, three from the United States, one from Canada, South Africa. If I didn't say that yet, we just don't have Europe and South America in in our cohort. And we've been talking about we've been talking about this week. We were talking about. Um, the mission of God. And we were talking about what is, what is God's mission and what is God's heart for the world. And so often we boil, we boil his mission down to just showing up to church on Sunday. As, as leaders and as lay people, as, as pastors and as congregants, as members, as lovers of God, we boil it down to just showing up to church on Sunday. Or, or we say, oh, well, I just got to pray this prayer of salvation and, and then I'm good. But while we're, while we're saved, we're, we never actually con- convert. We never walk into the lifestyle of a believer where we don't hold things to ourselves and we don't keep things to ourselves. This week conversation, started, we started talking about money. And, and they're saying that less than 5% of the church tithes. Now Now, our church does a really good job and I'm so proud of you it, I'm, I'm like blown away at, at, the, at how much better than the culture and, and the trends our church does. It's extraordinary. But we were talking about the amount, of, the amount of resources that... So Bill and Melinda Gates give a lot of money. And they give a lot of money to a lot of causes, and it's, and it's pretty cool. And we could look at it and go, wow, look at what those really, really rich people are doing. But what God has done is he's put a whole lot of us in the same body so that we can operate as one and we can do a lot more than Bill and Melinda Gates. You tracking? I'm not saying it very well because I wasn't planning on talking about it. But, but, you know, Loudoun County is now, again, in Forbes listed as one of the richest counties in the world. And I, I didn't even feel right sharing that with my class. Because it's like, you know, they're living in the Philippines and when rich rich there is very different than rich here. And if I were to say the median household income in my community is $135,000, can you imagine what would happen? Now, let's, just, let's just dream for a second. And I don't know what you guys give. I don't have access to that. So I'm not, I don't know. But can you imagine what happens if the average median household income, average median, that's redundant. If the median household income is $135,000, if, if if you know, so 10% as a, as a tithe, what happens when, when, you know, you get a couple thousand people gathering together for the same mission and the same purpose? Amen. I'm not talking about building a really fancy building and marble floors. I'm talking about the world mission that becomes possible. I'm talking about the missionaries that can be sent. I'm talking about the orphanages that can be started. I'm talking about diseases that can get solved, solved, healed, whatever. Right? Do you see like God built this thing in where people are supposed to join together and bring resources into the church so the church can pour them back out and change the world and provide for one another. But I'm, so I'm just, I'm just, I'm blown away at, at, at what's possible. You know, and every like the mathematicians in here are doing the math, and like you're looking at the number of people in the room and trying to figure it out. I mean, just in this room, just, just in our, our congregation alone, we're, we're, we're bumping up against about 300 people. Let's average. Uh, who, who's, is Ben in here? I need fast math. Um, <laughs> so if we we're about 300 people, and you, di- you divide that, and, and you figure out the average family is less than five. What's 300 divided by five? 60 households? at $15,000 or $13,500, whatever. You you see it. The resources are extraordinary to be able to make a severe impact. It's just exciting. And so we were just thinking about, man, what's possible? Anyway, think about that this Christmas. And that's 10%, and God calls us to... Jesus, like, redefined the expectation. and we, we learn about generous giving. Yeah, so. All right. <laughs> she devoted herself to fasting and praying. She was there day and night. She said she she basically never left. She was there all the time, every opportunity, every time the doors were open. She was there. She was waiting for the guy to open the door, and she was the last one to leave. She was ready to worship her God. She was ready to anticipate his coming and eagerly await him. And all this fasting, all this prayer, all this time in the temple, all this anticipation, all this hope helped her to grow in her discernment. How many kids came in and out of that temple for redemption? How many kids came in and out of the temple for the purification rites? how many people did Mary, Joseph, and Jesus walk by on their way to the temple that day? How many people did they walk by on their way home from the temple that day? And this basic, ordinary child who's really the savior of the world, it was missed by everyone. But Simeon and Anna had their eyes tuned, their hearts tuned, their ears tuned, their souls tuned to look for To look for Jesus. And when they saw him, they knew it was him. How many kids did she, she stared into their eyes, looking and hoping that they were going to be significant. That they were going to be the Messiah, that they were going to be the one who redeemed them. And all she saw was just a cute smile. Which is delightful in itself. But not what she was looking for, not what she was hoping for and then she got to see Jesus. Guys, it was all a setup. Her heritage in the line of Asher probably caused her to marry the man that she married. The sincerity and the modesty that shaped her as she grew up, the the cultural and religious uh heritage that she she walked in. The training she got the loss that she experienced, the pain that she experienced. Maybe the temple was the only place that she could go. Maybe that was her only option. But it was all a setup. Yeah. I want to encourage you today that it's a setup. If you're feeling a sense of loss or hurt or pain, it's a setup for something greater. If you're in a place of frustration or hope that hasn't been fulfilled, it's a setup. You want to have a child, but you haven't had a child, it's a setup. You need that promotion, you need those resources, it's a setup. You're sick and you can't get healthy, it's a setup. It's all a setup. So that one day you could behold the glory and the goodness of God. It's all a setup. God has lovingly and tenderly and graciously and kindly guided you and led you to where you are. And he'll continue to do so so that someday you can see him for who he is completely and fully. She sees him. She came up and began giving thanks to God. When she realized who he was, And she realized what was at hand or thought. She probably had it wrong like everybody else. Right? They thought that she she thought it was just going to be a social thing. You know, Anna wouldn't, she didn't get to live long enough to know that he turned water into wine. She didn't get to know that he called Lazarus out of the grave. She didn't know that he healed blind people. And he didn't know that he healed the lame man. And he didn't know. She never knew that he fed 4,000. She didn't know any of that, but, but she knew that he was the one. Amen. Even before anything had happened, before anything had changed, she knew that she could find what she was looking for in him. Sometimes we're like, God, you're going to have to prove yourself to me before I trust you. Wow. Instead of trusting before he proves himself to us. So but knowing who he was and discerning who he was, was enough for her to give thanks. It was enough for her to, to not just know and accept it and be like, oh, that's cool. Thanks. And it wasn't a gratitude or a thankfulness that stayed in herself. It, it says that she went and told all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. She declared it to everyone. I use the word declared because of the confidence and the certainness that I, that I imagine her preaching this with, that I imagine her sharing this with. Just the conviction that he's here. Israel's gonna be redeemed. I saw him and I know it. He's the one. The reality is uh, you don't have to go out and declare it the way that something is declared from a pulpit or from a stage. You don't have to declare the way that it's on a podcast or or the way that you imagine it being declared. It's often done just through simple discussion, just to have a conversation. Jesus is more than I ever thought he would be. Have you ever gone back to someone like, have you ever had an experience with God that made you rethink your previous understanding and knowing of God? When that happens, there's an opportunity to go back to the people that believe the same way as you and say, hey, he's not who I thought he was. If you've come to Christ in the, in the last couple of years, you can go back to those friends that you weren't in Christ with, and, and you can go, hey, remember how we, we used to do that stuff and think that way? Uh, I, was, I was wrong. I found Christ to be much more than I ever imagined. I found God to be much more loving and much more gracious and much kinder and much more severe than I ever imagined. And you can go back and you don't have to declare it and ah, you can go and discuss it with certainty and with conviction. Sharing what it is that you come to know as God has changed you and transformed you. And especially during this time, I encourage you to do so. Anna. Was telling everyone. And it's cool that Anna's doing it because it strips away every single excuse that I'd want to have. Yeah. Anna was was a woman who was doing this, and at a time when women didn't have any real societal influence. Yeah. It wasn't their place to do this. And yet she did it. What excuse do we have? She was aged. She's like 84 years old. Now, people disagree about whether it was 84 years after she was married, which makes her like nearly 100, or if she was just 84, just she was 84. And I don't think the argument matters. She's old. Like, I don't need Ben to figure that out for me. Ben's got his doctorate in mathematics, or he's getting it. That's why I wanted him earlier. I don't need Ben to help me understand. That's an old person. And so a woman who didn't have much standing, and she's old. I'm like, man, what excuses do I have? Yeah. What excuses do you have? What is it that disqualifies you from being able to speak the things that God has made real to you? Is it because you're not doing it perfectly? Well, that disqualifies all of us. Yes. If it was a matter of doing this perfectly, no one would preach Ever. None of us would ever be able to pick up the Bible if it was a matter of us doing it perfectly. That's what, that's what makes this whole Christmas season so awesome that the one who came and, and took the form of a baby did did perfectly for all of us. And he's like, hey, I passed the test. All you have to do is write my name on it. Like we're handed this, this test of life and we have the choice. You write your name or Jesus's name. And for whatever reason, knowing that Jesus has gotten it completely right, knowing that he passed the test, we insist on writing our name on it. Wow. I'm going with my wrong answers. I know you passed the selfish test, but for whatever reason, I failed the selfish test and I'm still putting my name on the test. Now, what happens when we put the name of Jesus at the top of the test is that we get his grade, not our own grade. And when we put the name Jesus on the test, what happens is not only do we get the grade, but now he empowers, he's like, I'm going to help you walk in accordance with the grade. Yeah. So you're not like the A student who's walking around just like lost, like, oh, I don't even know what the answers are. He's, <laughs> Jesus answered it. I don't even know. He's like, let me teach you what's on the test. Let me teach you the answer to the test. Let me change you so that you can get the test right. My name well, my name's on it. You know, this is what's available to us. I don't get it. I don't get it in my own life. Never mind anybody else's. Like, I want to get really frustrated and be like, why don't you understand to friends and family and neighbors or to people at work, why don't you understand what's available for you in Jesus? And then I think about it for a second. And I'm like, I don't even understand what's available for me in Jesus. Why do I not love reading my Bible more? Why do I want to check Facebook? When I've got the Bible. Why do I want to watch a stupid show on Netflix? It's not even really well produced because everything's cheaper now. Why do I even want to do that when I've got the Bible? What other book is more compelling? I don't look whatever you whatever whatever it is that you enjoy, and mass culture is better in here because it's redemptive, right? What's popular right now? Uh, what's a movie? Murder on the Orient Express, is that it? Silly confession. I thought the Polar Express and the Murder on the Orient Express were the same train. I was really confused why parents were taking their kids on the Polar Express train up in Pennsylvania. I'm like, why would you do that? Because it wasn't a murderous train. (laughs) Right? But whatever twists and turns you enjoy in 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 media, whatever twists and turns you enjoy in in books, it ex- it exists in here in spades. I mean, have you read First and Second Kings? Scandalous. Right, First and Second Kings. Whew. There's some stuff. Be like, what? I'm just saying, it's pretty incredible. You like you like fantasy stuff? Go to Revelation, last book in the Bible. It's easy to find. <laughs> except for it's better than fantasy because it's real, right? The other day I was looking at a list of the names used for Jesus in the book of Revelation. It was terrifying. I was like, my God, there, why isn't there art about that Jesus? Like, I'm tired of the blonde, blue-eyed, white Jesus. He wasn't even white, but but like I want, I want the revelation Jesus. Like, I want the revelation Jesus to come to mind. This Christmas, like I want to, I want to like see the cute baby Jesus and be like, <laughs> wielding a sword and a tattoo on his thigh. I'm like, that's my Jesus, you know? Like, come on. It's like we like sweet baby Jesus holding the sword and, like angels are like racing out from him, lightning shooting off, you know? And you're, like that's Jesus. You see that Christmas day, Christmas Eve. We'll see what happens. <laughs> With our nativity display. Big explosions in the background, clouds, jade everywhere. <laughs> What's the name? Lions and lambs. That could get bad real fast. <laughs> like Jurassic Park kind of scene. ''m I'm, 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 I guess I'm just excited i I'm excited right now about potential I'm excited about potential that's what I meant to get at with the money thing that I was talking about I'm excited about potential I'm personally excited about giving more to see what becomes possible as I give more i i'm I'm excited about the potential in in the baby Jesus. The the baby Jesus. I'm excited about the potential of the word. I'm excited about, about what's possible among us if we encounter Jesus the way he desires to be encountered this Christmas. I'm excited about Christmas if we think more of Christmas. Like, it could become the most glorious time of the year, never mind the most wonderful time of the year. Not because it's snowflakes, and it's not going to snow on Christmas. It never does. I'll take it if it happens. But, like, how ridiculous has it gotten that they play I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas in Florida? Like, that's not even your tradition. It's not going to snow, buddy. But Jesus can meet us everywhere right? Let's think more of Jesus. That's all I want to say. If there's so much potential. Let's think more of Jesus. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you haven't written the name of Jesus at the top of the test of life, it's, it, there's no better time. There's no better season. There's no better moment than now because you get to see Jesus everywhere and be reminded of it all the time. And it's not like that any other time of the year.